Well, as I said last week, we're going to take uh, a few weeks um, break from Mark and consider the topic of baptism for a few weeks, and uh, partly just as we continue reading of the life and teaching and ministry of Christ through the Gospels uh, each week, uh, it's a great reminder to consider our baptisms and, and what they tell us of our relationship to Christ, but then also as we anticipate um, a baptism of, of Addie Bechtold here really soon, um, we'll be considering next week uh, who is baptized and particularly why we baptize our, our children and how God deals with, with families in his covenant. But today we're going to think just about the, the meaning of baptism, what, what is baptism, um, how does it work? What does it mean? And I want to read two passages with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, the last several verses there. And then uh, from Romans chapter 6, uh, the first several verses there. So give attention uh, carefully as God's holy infallible word is read here. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. So as the eleven uh, disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." And then from Romans chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Right. Occasionally, one of, uh, one of the best parts uh, for me of getting out winter coats again each year as fall and winter comes around has been finding money in my pockets. Uh, that I left there and didn't know was there. Sometimes I wear the jacket for a while before I discover it. That's always a delight. But I want to suggest this morning that walking around with cash in your pocket that you don't know about uh, is something like failing to consider your baptism and the blessings that it holds for you, uh, always. Um, only baptism, of course, is infinitely more valuable than $20 bill or whatever you might find in your pockets. I would confess that for years, and um, still to too large a degree, I'm sure, uh, I have not considered, as I should, my baptism and, and the blessings that it points to and, and holds for me, um, how I might grow in my understanding of my blessings in Christ in considering my baptism, what it means that I've been baptized. Our, our larger catechism speaks of that uh, ongoing benefit of baptism and growing and, and um, building on your baptism in the language of improving your baptism. It's kind of uh, archaic language, but we can understand what that means, improving upon, building upon 
the reality of baptism. So question 167 in, in the larger catechism says, how is baptism to be improved by us? That is, how is it, how is it a benefit to us that we're to continue to grow? Here's just a few of the things that it says. It's, it says, the needful but much neglected duty of improving our baptism is to be performed by us all our life long by serious and thankful consideration of the nature of it and of the ends for which Christ instituted it, the privileges and benefits that are sealed in it, uh, by being humbled for our sinful defilements and walking contrary to the grace of baptism, uh, drawing strength from the death and resurrection of Christ into whom we're baptized, uh, walking in brotherly love as being baptized by the same Spirit into one body. And, and there's much, much more there as, as well. And I didn't read. So this morning I want to call you away, perhaps, from neglecting your baptism and encourage you to value and grow in your baptism. Um, if you've been baptized, so this applies to uh, kids, young adults, uh, adults, um, anyone, I want to challenge you to really think about what your baptism means this morning. It, and it, is it meaningful in your life? Um, what does it have to do with your identity, with, with how you live your life, how you think? Do you think of it as, as just some ritual maybe that happened to you a long time ago, maybe when you weren't even aware or something that has some ongoing significance for you? Well, just a couple other points by way of introduction you'll, you'll see on their outline. I just want to talk about uh, baptisms or the, the idea of baptism uh, very generally. First, um, the, the baptism that, that the church has, that New Testament baptism is not the first baptism. It's, uh, there were other baptisms um, among the Jews and, and even in the Bible. Um, that, that used water as a symbol of, of cleansing. Uh, the, the Jews used a, a kind of baptism for converts into uh, Judaism, into the true religion. Um, we can think about the, the New Testament itself begins, and uh, or the Gospels rather, begin and end with baptism. Um, that first baptism is, is John's baptism, John the Baptist. It's not the same as New Testament baptism that Christ gave us. Uh, his was a, a preparatory baptism. It was um, a response to the message that the kingdom of heaven is here and the king is here. And it was, it was preparatory, a, a, a baptism of repentance and preparing for Jesus and his work. Um, to come. John was promising someone else who would come and baptize with spirit and with fire. That is essentially saying he, he would, Jesus would come and bring, bring the real thing. Um, and his baptism was looking forward to that. So John the Baptist's baptism was, in a real sense, an Old Testament baptism, still looking forward to Jesus. And so we don't get the meaning and significance of our baptism from that uh, entirely, but from uh, Matthew 28, for example, that we read this morning. Jesus institutes baptism, and it's, it's tied then to his work, um, to his death and his resurrection particularly. And then we have examples of Christian baptism and, and further commands to it in Acts and in the epistles in the New Testament. And I just want to raise the question as well, why, why does the church require baptism? Um, our, our church does, and most Christian churches do, but that's not something that everyone is, is clear about. What, what is the authority? Should or, or can the church require baptism? Uh, well, it's, it's uh, very simply, it's Christ's command for his people. Uh, as we read here in, in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me, and then his, his command is to go 
and make disciples, and part of that is, is baptizing them. Um, the apostles commanded it as well. In Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, Acts chapter 10, um, the, the Holy Spirit fell on those Peter was preaching to, and they were amazed and converted, and then he said, uh, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who received the Holy Spirit? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Again, it was, it was part of the way that Jesus said uh, he instructed to make disciples. They were to, to teach them and to baptize them. Okay, so uh, aside from the, the meaning of baptism, the many benefits of it, and we're going to talk about this week and in coming weeks, um, it's, it's Christ's command. It's, it's not just a neat uh, ritual that we can take or leave, uh, but it's, it's a great blessing to us, but it's one that's also commanded uh, by Christ as well. Well, uh, secondly then, uh, on, on the second point on your outline there, I want to just address the broad question, uh, what does baptism do? Uh, sort of, how does it work? And, and um, the, the answer to this is basically the same as, as the Lord's Supper as well, the other sacrament that Christ has given us. Um, what, what does it do? Um, traditionally, um, theologians have spoken of uh, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism, uh, as being a sign and a seal that applies something to us, that, that, that gives us a grace. So it's, it's a sign, it symbolizes something, it seals it, and it applies. And, and uh, uh, I want to just talk about each of those terms real briefly, because it really is a very helpful summary to understand uh, how the sacraments work. So uh, it, they are a sign, that is, something is represented, something is symbolized in baptism, in the Lord's Supper. So in the Lord's Supper, it's, it's uh, the bread and the cup. Right, that are the signs, the, the symbols. And in baptism, of course, it's the water. Okay? They represent physically uh, a spiritual reality. Okay? They, they, the, this physical ritual signifies and symbolizes it. It points to some aspect of our salvation that's, that's inward, that's invisible. So it's, it's God graciously giving us something tangible that we can see and feel and, and even taste in the case of the Lord's Supper um, that signifies something spiritual. When you're driving down the highway and you see big golden arches and, and underneath the big golden arches it says, you know, exit 210. Uh, you know what to find at exit 210, right? The sign doesn't even necessarily say McDonald's. The sign itself is not McDonald's, right? Um, but it signifies it. It points to it. Okay, so uh, baptism is a sign. Secondly, it's, uh, we speak of it as a seal. That is, it's something that guarantees, uh, it promises, it assures us of those things that the sign points to, that these things are really true. Okay, it, uh, a seal, that language of a seal, is like a stamp of authority. Okay, it comes from uh, really, you know, sealing official documents. You, you've probably seen uh, wax seals, so we don't use those in a, an official way uh, anymore, but um, you've probably seen them on wedding invitations or something like that. They're used in a fancy way, but they, that used to be that, that a governor or a king or someone had uh, a seal that would seal a, a letter or a proclamation uh, with hot wax, and he would be the only one that had that particular seal. And so if you receive that seal unbroken, uh, it, it's, the, the idea is this comes with the authority, with the, the reliable authority of the one who sent it. 
Um, we still have things sort of like that in our, our society. We have uh, we get things notarized, right? There's a seal from the state. Sometimes they even use an impression uh, on paper that is to, to assure you that this is, this is official. It's been verified. Uh, it's true. Or, or at, you, you see seals at, at the gas pump, for example, from the, the Department of Agriculture, right? Those little seals that say if it, you know, if it says void on it or something, it's been tampered with. But otherwise, you can, you can trust it. Okay, well that's, that's the idea behind baptism being a, a seal. It's given by God as his seal, his assurance that what it means, what it points to, we'll talk to about in a minute, is, is true, that it's really happened. That, that's important. I'll come back to this as well, but it, that's important in recognizing baptism not as something that we do. Right? It's not something we perform or something we profess. It's something we receive from God. Okay, it's God gives it to us for our sake. And then um, it's also spoken of as, as uh, uh, something that applies God's grace to us. So it's a sign, a seal, and it applies that grace to us. So those, those inward realities that are signified are to become more and more real to us, confirmed to us uh, as we observe um, these sacraments. The Holy Spirit uses it as a, a means to, uh, of, of giving us the grace that's symbolized. Um, I don't mean that in, in terms of justification. What I mean by that is we don't become more saved, right, or more justified, more righteous before God by sharing the Lord's Supper or by being baptized. Um, it's, it's part of our sanctification. It's part of our growing in, understanding, and embracing more and more what's already true of us uh, in Christ. You think of an example of a sacrament in the Old Testament. Uh, Passover, uh, for example, it, uh, how it was a sign and a seal. It was a sign uh, that reminded uh, Israel of that night that they, they fled from Egypt, right? And the elements that they used reminded them of that night. It was, it was a seal of God's promise to continue to be merciful, uh, to continue to be gracious to his people and, and to rescue them um, from sin in, in an ultimate sense, to lead them to be their God. And so it was to apply that truth to them. Every, every year, year after year, when the Israelites observed the Passover meal, uh, it was to encourage them, strengthen their faith that, that these things were true, that God had given them these promises, that he was their God. Right. So then thirdly, on your outline, I want to talk about the meaning uh, of baptism specifically. What, what does it signify? What, what does it symbolize um, and, and seal to us? What does it assure us of? And, and by way of introduction to that, I just want to touch on a couple of uh, erroneous views that don't, don't quite um, reflect the biblical teaching. The, the first uh, is that baptism is merely a profession of faith. Uh, it's, it's merely a public testimony. It's something that we um, do to show others that, that we are Christians, right? And, and to demonstrate um, the forgiveness of sins and, and so on to others. Um, that, that's a very common view, especially in the United States. Um, but it's actually a, a, a rather different view from the Reformed view uh, of baptism. Uh, our view is that we, we do do baptism in obedience to God, but it's not in any sense something that, that we perform, that we pro do to profess something. Uh, it's, it's something that we are passive in. We passively receive God's blessing and promises in baptism. 
Um, every time baptism is spoken of in the Bible, it's not, it's not do baptism or baptize yourself. It's be baptized, right? Receive baptism. It's, it's receiving the promise and the sign of God that he gives to us. Okay? So it's something, it's something more than just uh, professing and demonstrating uh, our faith um, actively on our part. Another, uh, another error in, in, in a way it's sort of the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we might call automatic grace or, or uh, a view of automatic regeneration in baptism. Uh, that is the, the Roman Catholic view of baptism. And it's simply the understanding that someone automatically receives the saving grace of God by being baptized. That in baptism itself uh, is, is the power and the grace to save. Okay? That, um, that it doesn't matter uh, what, what the person's understanding of baptism is or whether faith is present uh, in them or not. Uh, baptism automatically gives grace. It's sort of like a vending machine. You put the right amount of money in, and you push the right button, and, and the drink comes out, or the snack comes out, right? It's, it's automatic. It doesn't matter how you feel about the, the vending machine, right, or, or if you know how it works at all. Um, that's, that's this uh, view of baptism as well. It's, it's, a, it's a dangerous view because rather than uh, being a sign of something that God does, the, the baptism, the, the elements become the grace themselves, right, automatically, um, whether you're exhibiting faith uh, or not. The reality is there is no benefit at all in baptism uh, without faith, right, without understanding of what it signifies. Okay? So here are three points of uh, meaning, the things that baptism points us to, the biblical meaning of baptism. The first is that you are united to Christ. You're united to Christ. So Matthew 28, I want to draw your attention there particularly. Here, Matthew 28:19, Jesus speaks of baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing in the name of God. Now that probably is, is better translated. You, you, if you have a different translation, it may say into the name. There's a, there's a Greek word, uh, en, that is typically translated in, and the Greek word ace that is typically translated into, that signifies uh, being brought into a relationship with something. In fact, it's that word that's used here, uh, the into word. Uh, so we might prefer the translation baptizing them into the name of this triune God. That, that word's consistently used in the New Testament to speak of someone, people being brought into a relationship. So First uh, Corinthians 1.13 uh, Paul is addressing the, the church being divided, um, and he rhetorically asks, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? He's saying you, when you were baptized, you were baptized into a special relationship with Paul, or Apollos, or someone else. It was, it's implied it was, it was in, into God. Right? Um, 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of uh, people being the, the Israelites being baptized into Moses in a sense, uh, in, in crossing the Red Sea, and so they were, they were brought into a special relationship with Moses in that uh, experience. And then Romans six that we read this morning uh, as well, Paul uses the same word um, to say you were baptized into Christ. 
You're baptized into Christ, brought into this relationship with him. The, 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 so the, the relationship, the identity that, that you're brought into is the most basic meaning and aspect of baptism, we might say. The rest of the New Testament shows then that that relationship that you're brought into is most specifically called union with Christ. That, that's Paul's favorite description for your relationship to Christ, that you are in Christ. You're brought into Christ. You, you, we, we call it union with Christ. Um, you, you are united to him in his death and his resurrection. And union with Christ is most basically, most basically means that what is true of Jesus as, as a human son of God is true of you. You died to sin in, in his death. Uh, you raised to new life in, in his being raised. You are loved as, as perfectly obedient, acceptable children as he is in him. Uh, you're united to him. Um, again, in Romans 6, um, that we already read uh, this morning, uh, just hear how, how Paul says this. Again, um, all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Uh, Verse 4, we've been buried buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, So particularly speaking of united to him in in his death and burial and and resurrection, Um, the significance that has for, for our sins, having died to the consequences and the guilt of our sins. Um, in Colossians 2, I'll read this next week as well, but um, Paul says in Colossians 2, In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's speaking of a, a circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Again, buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. Um, so I just want to challenge you this morning, if, if you've been baptized, are you remembering that you've died to sin? You've died to your old self, to your slavery to sin, your guilt of sin. Um, that's, that's died. It's, it's gone in, in, in the view of God. Um, you, you ought to meditate what it means to be baptized into Christ's death. Um, that is your identity. Are you remembering that you've been raised with him to new life through the, the power of God? Um, you are new. You've been raised to new life. You ought to meditate on what, what that means, um, being united to Christ um, in his resurrection. That is your identity. Um, historically, uh, cattle ranchers will brand their cows, right? They, they burn a, a mark in them that's, that's unique to their family or their ranch that marks these cows as belonging to them, right? Um, Having been baptized into Christ is, is being marked as belonging to him, as being his disciple. You're, you're baptized into being discipled by him, taught by him, following him. You have his name on you. You're baptized into the name of the triune God. So you're now identified with Jesus Christ. You're, you're now Christian. Right? You have a new name, particularly through baptism. Um, you know, when a, when a wife uh, traditionally takes uh, it, it, it traditionally takes the name of her husband, right? Together they they have one name, one flesh in the description of of, of the uh, of the Bible, um, a new identity, uh, a name together. Um, 
reflecting on, on what Jesus says here in Matthew 28, Ed Clowney writes this about baptism. He says, Christian baptism is a naming ceremony. The baptized is given a name, the name of the triune God. Baptisms give, baptism gives Christians their family name, the name they bear as those called the children of God. So you, you have a new name, um, the name of God, that is particularly signified by baptism. Um, if you've been, baptism, been baptized, listen to uh, the third commandment, for example, and the significance that's given to that. Um, there, there's huge relevance here for us. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Okay, now that that uh, command is, is often applied to cursing, right? Using God's name flippantly in our speech. Um, but that's really not, and that, that applies, but it's really not the central meaning of that command. Um, it speaks of those who, who take the name of the Lord. And that, that word, the nuance of that word is, is to, to carry something, to bear something. We have the name of God on us. Right? It's not talking about our speaking the name of God, but we take the name, we bear the name of God on us uh, as his people. And, and doing that in vain, that is in a way that's empty, that's, that's meaningless, that doesn't connect to the name of God. So it's about having the name of God on you, but lacking the meaning, and, 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 and that being empty. So how are you carrying the name of God into which you were baptized? How are you carrying the family name around uh, day to day? Um, in our, our evening worship time last week, we began looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, and the first question, uh, the first question is a great reminder in this connection as well. Again, what is your only comfort in life and death? The answer begins that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and baptism is a reminder of that. You're united to Christ. You have his name on you. That's one thing that baptism points to. Secondly, uh, it certainly also points to the fact that you've been washed by Christ. You've been washed by Christ. The assumption and the teaching of all the scriptures is that we are sinful, we need to be forgiven and washed. We've considered that in um, a couple of the accounts we've read of Jesus in, in Mark already. Um, Isaiah 52, again, says your sins have separated you from God. Psalm 24 uh, asks the question, who can come into God's presence? And the answer that comes in that psalm is only the person with clean hands, with a pure heart. That is, that's none of us. So it has to be only those who have been washed, right? Who have been spiritually cleansed. Um, that, that cleansing, that washing that we need is tied closely in the Bible to regeneration. The Holy Spirit's regenerating us, changing our hearts. Uh, John chapter 3, Jesus says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's a need for water, for, for washing by the Spirit. Or Titus chapter 3, Paul says that he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 uh, Paul says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were washed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit 
of our God. So there's this washing by the Spirit that we read of throughout the Scriptures. And then that's tied closely to baptism as well. It's the thing that's most clearly and outwardly pictured in baptism. On Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. On Acts chapter 22, uh, Why do you wait? He says, Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Wash away your sins. Not, not literally or phys- physically, right? but as a, a sign that points to your, your having repented and received Christ's washing of your sins by his death. Um, again, I do want to emphasize that, that baptism um, powerfully, but only pictures that washing. Right? It's, it's not automatic. It's not like washing a car where you literally physically scrub the car and wash the dirt off. And it was dirty before and now it's, now it's clean. It's, it's more like, baptism is more like if you hire someone else to wash and and. Uh, detail your car, it's like the receipt that you get when you pick it up. Right? It, the, the receipt is not the washing itself, but it's, it's a guarantee. It, it's a, a symbol of the fact that the car has been washed. It's done. This, this track transaction has been completed. Okay? Um, again, the baptism itself doesn't remove anything, but it's, it's to be a promise to you that Christ has removed your sin, that he is reconciled to God if you embrace him in faith and repentance. Okay? And it's an encouragement, it's to be an encouragement to you to consider that truth more and more fully, to let the Holy Spirit uh, change you through it, throughout your life. Um, and then letter C, thirdly, uh, baptism signifies that you are a member of Christ's body, that you're a member of the church, that you're a member of Christ's body. Um, it's a sign that you're washed of your sins, you're united to Christ, and that marks you as a member of his body, of your inclusion in the body of Christ. You're united to all other believers um, who have been um, saved and marked in the same way. You have rights to all the benefits of the community of, the, of, of believers, of the church. You have the rights to the, the benefits of, of worship and prayer and fellowship and accountability and, and, and on and on uh, of the covenant community. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.13 points us to this. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Uh, you're baptized in, into the body, marked as a, as a part of the church. Galatians 3 as many of you, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it points to our, our unity. We all need and receive the same baptism and are baptized in, into the church. So baptism is a reminder of the privilege and also the responsibility of being a part of the, of the body of Christ. Um, if you've been baptized, be grateful for the blessings of being part of the body of Christ. Um, and also recognize you're called to actually be a part of the body. right? Not, not to be uh, a detached part of the body, right? to actually function as part of the body. You're to think and act as if this is your family. right? The family of God. You, this is the name that you have on you. You can't casually... Uh, be a member of the church. Um, you're to be pursuing all the, the teaching and worship and fellowship and accountability and, and support and so on that Jesus provides for you through the local church, through that, that part of his body. And 
serving in this family because Jesus purchased your place in this body with his blood. So I, I, I challenge you on this point, are you taking your membership in the body of Christ that, that seriously? You're part in the family of God. So the meaning of baptism is that you are united to Christ. You have his name on you. You've been washed by Christ, pictured particularly by the water. And it, and it marks you as a member of, of Christ's body as well. You no longer belong to the world or to yourself. You no longer identify with sin or with autonomy, just being on your own. Uh, you've been bought with a price, the price of the blood of the Son of God. You're, you're marked uh, by baptism as, as part of his people, his family, forever. So I just want to encourage you this morning not to carry that enormous blessing around in your pocket, um, but to use it and consider it, to, to value and to grow in your baptism. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this time that we've had to worship you and to hear from your word and be assured again of your love and your promises. And we pray specifically this morning that you would help us to grow in our baptism, to grow by it, and the, the truth that it shows and assures to us if we uh, hold on to that by, by faith um, in Christ, uh, repentant faith in, in who he is and what he's done for us. Lord, help us to be mindful of that, to as we witness baptism in, in coming weeks, uh, to, to particularly be mindful of that and grateful that you've given us that sign. Uh, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.